Welcome to the Anxiety Recovery Podcast. My name is Valerie. I'm an anxiety mindset coach and hypnotherapist. You know that moment where you are absolutely at peace in the present moment. I believe that is what we are all at the pursuit of. And I want to help you get one step closer by up-leveling your health, mindset, and love for yourself. Because that happiness and lasting fulfillment can only be created and found within. So get ready for all things mindset, mental health, and self-love. I hope this serves you. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Anxiety Recovery Podcast. This is episode two. I have a really, really special guest with me here. Her name is Emily Calligan, and she's a narcissistic abuse expert. She's really close to my heart, and we're going to be talking all about trauma bonds, narcissistic abuse, and how that correlates to having high levels of anxiety. And it's just something, a topic that's super close to my heart and something that I personally experienced. I've experienced narcissistic abuse throughout my whole childhood. My dad was a narcissist. I also was dating a narcissist uh, around, you know, three months ago and I got out of that and Emily really, really helped me through that. So why don't we go ahead and give a warm welcome to Emily. Emily, I'd love to hear more about what you do. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Val, on your podcast, talking all things about healing, anxiety, narcissistic abuse, because you're right, a lot of anxiety does stem from that. And just like based on my own experience, I battled with generalized anxiety disorder. And I tried everything in terms of trying to get to the root cause of like why I felt the way that I did. And, you know, I thought it was low self-esteem, you know, and, and I wasn't realizing how much your environment affects you. So at the time, yeah, at the time I was living with, you know, my ex, which was a narcissist, who's a covert narcissist. And I was walking on eggshells and just to go into further details, like what that means, it's your body is on high alert never knowing when something bad is about to happen and when they might, you know, go off on you, something bothers them and they just kind of like criticize, either yell. And it really affects your system being in that. And over time, your body actually gets rewired towards that hypervigilant mode. And that's what creates that chronic anxiety. So I was actually only able to start to see a big shift when I left that relationship because my body learned, oh, okay, we can relax now. We don't have to, you know, try and think 10 steps ahead to how they're going to react to me. Um, Because yeah, your environment is just so important. And when I was going through it, I didn't have a therapist that was trained in narcissistic abuse she didn't understand it so I felt a lot of shame around it uh, a lot of self-blame and it's funny that a lot of psychologists are not trained also um, around trauma (laughs) so (laughs) that is interesting as well um 
And that's what kind of like led me on my path to wanting to learn how to help myself through it, to recover from years of just chronic anxiety, having, oh, at one point I had at least 10 panic attacks a day. Like it was really, really out of control. Tried medication, talk therapy, talk therapy actually made it worse because I was just leaving there feeling more anxious about all the bad memories I was discussing with my therapist at the time. And I just felt like stuck, didn't know where to go. And then, you know, fell into more somatic subconscious work, learning about that and just seeing (laughs) how much I transformed from, from doing that deeper dive is insane because you know, you think that, okay, if I do meditation, if I read mm-hmm. books on it, it you know, you, you try all the things, but you really, really need to work with the body and getting deeper, deeper on the the traumas that are making you feel anxious in the first place. So, and I just want to be able to give that back to others and help them overcome it because I don't think you can overcome it without getting there and, and using those modalities. So I know that's a long story to explain what I'm doing, but I just wanted to connect it back to, I understand you. You know, I understand people who are going through it and how how tough it can be, especially being in those kinds of relationships. Wow. What a beautiful fucking story. I swear. So if y'all have kids around, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, wow. I'm just so moved by your story and I'm so inspired to hear it. And I'm sure people who maybe are going through it right now really deeply appreciate that and just can connect with you on that. And tell us more about what is the benefit of utilizing like somatic therapy and getting to the body. I have a similar approach. And I think it's always helpful to kind of explain what that looks like for people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because I get a lot of clients that, you know, judge themselves. They're like, I logically know, you know, there's no danger around me, right? In terms of being anxious, or I know this person's bad for me, but I still can't let go. I, I still keep going back. And then I tell them that makes so much sense because in those experiences, it's not your logic driving your behavior. It's your subconscious. It's your programming and your body remembers everything. You might not consciously remember it, but your body does. And guess who has more power? Your body. So people usually think that your thoughts control like how you feel but believe it or not there's actually 80 percent of sensory information going from your body up to your brain only 20 percent going from your brain to your body so imagine if you spend so many years just doing talk therapy or trying to like willpower yourself through things that is just not going to work so that's why when you actually work with the body the amount of change you see triples And I've, you know, experienced that myself, also feedback from my clients, because they're stuck, not because they lack knowledge. Even even if you think about diets, people know what to eat, but why (laughs) do they sabotage? It's an emotional subconscious issue that needs to be, you know, worked through at that level. And like just the things that come up in sessions that I give to clients, it's 
incredible. It's fascinating because they would never be able to receive that information of why they're stuck if they just spent an hour talking about it with me. Like this goes deep, gets the root cause. Um, So just for an example, you know, I, I had this past client who kept on going back to her ex. She couldn't understand why. Obviously that led her to feel like she was broken. She was damaged and felt hopeless about it. And in the session, we uncovered um, doing like a somatic parts work session that her body was addicted to pain because if she could create that pain, then if someone else did it to her, it would hurt a lot less. It was like a, a very... Um, defense mechanism that she, that her body created her subconscious um, from a very early age when she was, you know, being emotionally abused. And it's like that part of her got stuck in time thinking that that was actually still keeping her safe, right? Because every single part of you really thinks it's keeping you safe because it's stuck at as a three-year-old, as a five-year-old, seven-year-old, when that event took place. So, but that part of her, it's not in her conscious mind. It's it's deep in her in her subconscious. So the more that we're able to like process what those emotions were, give that part of her what they needed, then it sets her free from now having logic control. Because <laughs> it, it, it's like, it gets her logic and emotion back um, in alignment. So instead of the emotion running the show, now it, she's actually able to be like, oh, you know, now I, I don't need to do that anymore. And that's where the integration takes place. Because uh, if I just told her, you know, that's that, that's wrong, that you feel that way, it makes no sense. Uh, you should just continue to try your best to fight those cravings, fight those urges. <laughs> Like she would have gotten nowhere. She would have been stuck in it for for years and years and years and years and created more damage. Because and in a battle between emotion and logic, emotion will always, always win. <laughs> so that's why you gotta deal with the emotion first, and then your logic can you know really it can get back in the in the driver's seat. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's very powerful work. And uh, even for myself, like I, I don't battle with chronic anxiety anymore. And a lot of it had to do with, yeah, that response from learning that I had to be hypervigilant and not just with my ex who was a narcissist, but I had narcissistic parents growing up and that was like my default setting. So even though it's really painful to be, chronically anxious obviously is not a fun time (laughs) your body actually thinks it's protecting you it thinks it's keeping you safe because if you can prevent something bad happening then you can you can you you can have some type of control over it there's a false sense of, of of control and safety and uh and yeah, so it just it goes so much deeper than treating the sin the the symptoms of it. Wow. Wow. That's such a powerful story. Your client being addicted to pain and just showing how powerful what this work really does. Like showing that, like, hey, she would not be able to come to this conclusion just talking about it with a therapist. Is it seemed like it was super ingrained in her subconscious and 
wow, what a powerful story you have and like helping these clients and just really breaking down, uh, especially what, what, what stood out to me was 80%. Like a lot of people say, oh, your thoughts create your reality. But what you just mm-hmm. mentioned is like, like you said, emotion always wins. Emotion over logic. Just like, oh, I, I know this person that I'm dating or I used to date. I know they're bad for me, but I'm just going to go back to them. And it's not a logical part. And especially like for me, for example, when I was really struggling with anxiety, my I used to see a talk therapist before I did subconscious work and working with the body and things like that. And she would just say like, well, you're safe now. Like, it's all okay. Mm. Like, And that just like, like you said, it, it, it made me feel so much deep shame. Like, why am I like this? And yeah. it, it just, because it, it, in talk therapy, while it can have its benefits, it's not going to help you heal the trauma. And like you said, a lot of psychologists are not trauma informed or informed about narcissistic abuse. And this is why it's so important with what you do. Can you talk more about like, what are the signs of narcissistic abuse? Mm, yeah. And it's funny because a lot of people actually deal with narcissistic abuse. They just don't recognize it because it has become their normal especially if you grew up in that kind of environment you don't see those red flags or if you do you end up rationalizing dismissing them because once again at a subconscious level it's it's your normal and um yeah so definitely the first thing that i mentioned right the hypervigilance so you feel like you're just constantly walking on eggshells um a huge one too is cognitive dissonance so what that means is you don't really know who they are because they flip-flop between being just really nice to you, caring, loving, and then immediately they'll switch to being like this cruel, critical, abusive person. So your mind is stuck in chronic rumination, trying to figure out, like, should I stay? Should I go? I'm confused. Like, are they the person they were in the beginning? Or are they actually this like abusive, selfish, entitled person? And so like I always say, as soon as you feel super confused about who someone is, that is a a sheer sign that you're going through narcissistic abuse because it follows the abuse cycle, right? Where they will love bomb you. So they'll shower you with whatever you want to hear. And then they'll start to pull away because people think abuse has to be physical. Absolutely not. It can be very subtle, very covert, and it can be um, as subtle as them just giving you the silent treatment um, because that is emotional abuse. Right. Mm -hmm. And that that can that triggers, you know, deeper wounds within you that cause you to then try and please the narcissist to gain back their approval you received in in the beginning so yeah those are the the two main signs that like are are always like if you feel that way you know something's wrong um number three number three is just yeah it goes back to the hot and cold behavior right so they're unpredictable um and then you know you just don't feel like you can express yourself fully you hide parts of yourself. Um, if you have a need or a boundary, you're afraid that you're going to lose them by expressing it. So you become 
you feel like you almost become smaller and smaller within yourself out of a need to keep the attachment with them. Um, and then, yeah, so that causes you to lose yourself in the relationship because they stay with people based on the fact that you are a people pleaser, you're a caretaker. So that's what attracts it. That's what creates that magnetic attraction. You, you give, they overtake. So it's a perfect dynamic in the beginning anyways, until, you know, things <laughs> just go out of control. And yeah, so it's if if you're not meeting their needs, they punish you in, in those subtle ways that activates your attachment wounds and causes you, oh, I need to try harder. Because yes, it doesn't make sense logically, but emotionally it does because in that moment let's say it reminds you of an emotionally unavailable parent who gave you give you forms of conditional love you regress back to that same emotional experience and what did you do back then when you were dependent on your parents for survival well you suppressed your own feelings you suppressed your own needs you gave up your authenticity to keep that connection so that's what's happening now Right. And um, so, yeah, the, those are just the main signs that you're in that cycle, e even if they're not uh, outwardly name calling you or like yelling or hitting you, because that's what I realized. I was with a covert narcissist for five years and he never really did call me names, but he would he was very passive aggressive. He would mm -hmm. dig at me. Where I'd be like, mm, was that an insult or was it not? Um, or he would, you know, completely give me the silent treatment for like a week, even if we lived together. He would act like I didn't exist. And, you know, like that is terrible abuse to to do to someone, especially like their intention behind doing it, right? Um, that's what really, because people think, oh, well, I give the silent treatment too. Yeah, but maybe that's for protection. They do it as a way to get you to feel bad so that you give in to, to their own needs. Um, yeah. So it, it really, really takes a toll on everything. Your, your spiritual health, your emotional, your physical health. I even have clients because they're so stressed all the time living in this like, um, hypervigilant state they have constant migraines um they have body aches tension and then as soon as they leave the relationship sometimes it literally goes away in a couple of weeks so it goes to show how much it takes a toll on you without you actually realizing it oh yes oh wow that is such a powerful story and explanation of like what narcissistic abuse is like how it like totally fucks with your mind right like it almost like puts this cloud over your mind and your body and just like people the mind and body are directly connected like you said and like like wow just the amount of just everything how it affects your life and and just like Emily said it doesn't have to be necessarily a partner it could also be a parent so like for example I I've been in both relate relation I've been in one relationship with a covert narcissist and then uh, my father was an overt narcissist and we can talk more about like what the differences are so for example like my dad would name call there was always yelling there was always that hypervigilance and anxiety I would experience and then once I set strict boundaries and removed him from my 
my life. Uh, I removed him strictly out of my life for a year and a half. Uh, then my mom started to have health problems. And now I, you know, obviously I've retrained my nervous system to where I feel safe within myself and my body. So I don't experience those same symptoms with him. But when I, you know, cut him off and, and was working with the body and the subconscious and the anxiety, I actually experienced chronic pain at the age of 20 for six years. And so for me, once I cut him off, it slowly went away. And then when I went, so my last relationship, I wasn't in a covert narcissistic relationship. And like Emily said, there was no name calling. There was no hitting or, or yelling or anything of that sort. It was like subtle digs. He would criticize how I would cut an onion. He would criticize yeah. how I would do things. Oh, yeah. Boy. Like he would criticize yeah. the little shit and like, I can relate. Yeah. He would nitpick a lot about cleaning. Like the dishes had to be a certain way. And it's like, I never knew what his behavior was going to be like. And I lived with him and it was very, uh, very triggering for my nervous system. And also at that point, when we first like lived together, I did so much work around anxiety and healing, et cetera, where I didn't have chronic pain anymore. And I noticed that my body, once we lived together for a few weeks, I was like physically ill. I was having gut issues, physical pain coming back. And that was like my first sign. And like another sign is like, how do you feel right before they come home from work or before you see them? Like for me, once I heard that, that was like such a switch. And I'm so grateful for Emily's guidance because if not, like I, it would be very hard for me to have like really been moving on and, and working on becoming someone who can attract an emotionally available person because narcissists are not emotionally available and like we also share our stories and also at the time it was not something logical like Emily said I was really dealing with that cognitive dissonance piece he was quote-unquote perfect right in the beginning he had everything that I wanted in a partner was showing very secure signs of secure attachment and all these different things that you look for in a partner so when they switch on you he really switched on me when we started to live together and things like that really happen. And so that's why we also share these signs with you and your body also will tell you instantly when you meet someone, you know, is this a good idea? And I oh. initially felt that way and I ignored it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that. How yes. people think like, Oh my God, like I feel butterflies with this person. I feel like, so like anxious and crazy intense chemistry yeah that is not a good <laughs> sign that is a sign of you're about to reenact like a childhood dynamic with this person because they are similar and your brain is like encoding this anxiety as that attachment style that you are used to which is drawing you and creating that, that attraction because if this person is hot and cold and this person is narcissistic like that that is that is your version of love that that you learned and so that becomes your familiar but with a healthy person you're not gonna feel that and it sucks that in movies that's all they, they display it's like <laughs> it's like codependency everywhere you go and um 
And it's unlearning that, right? And realizing, oh, I'm, I, I should feel safe with this person. I should feel calm. I should feel at ease in my body, right? Because your nervous system will let you know, oh, like just something about this person feels off. But yeah, sometimes our brain can also, because it's familiar, see it as, oh, it, this feels like home to me and I'm bringing you towards it. And that's why, you know, it's so important to do that that deconditioning of what you associated with love because if not it continues to get set off but regardless just having the information you can look out for those warning signs because <laughs> I have mm-hmm. a funny experience with that um when I didn't know this back then right and I met someone and I had like oh my gosh crazy fireworks I've never experienced that in my entire life um mm-hmm. but it was also definitely my body saying holy crap alert 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 danger run for your life Emily (laughs) (laughs) but I'm like oh if I'm having such a strong reaction to this person it must mean like there's something very special about them yeah I mean in a sense they were special because they reminded my son of my father (laughs) but it's like yeah, when you don't know that, you think, oh, this is the one, you know, like there, there's something about them that I'm just attracted to. Don't don't even know why. See, when you don't know why, it's it's usually trauma bond, like in the mm-hmm. making. Because when you like truly fall in love with like in love with someone, you can tell the reasons why you love that. This is more like an emotional addiction going on. And so, like. I remember feeling like my body was on fire. Like when, like before I'd go see, I would go see him and I would rationalize it and be like, oh, it's just because I'm afraid of rejection. So I'm feeling this way. And because, you know, I, I, I guess, yeah, that d- definitely felt familiar, but it's realized like if I, I wish I had that information back then that no, Emily, <laughs> that is not healthy. That is your, your body is telling you, Something is off this person and you need to protect yourself. And guess what? My intuition was so right, so intensely right about about this person because eventually they show their true colors. So it's learning to trust your body again when when that comes up. And yeah, so that's definitely important, important piece of it when you're when you're dating, when when you get to that stage anyways. Oh, yes. Oh, that's so, so just empowering to know that like we can connect back to your intuition and listening to those telltale signs of your body. And you mentioned like you felt your body was on fire. I remember uh, my one of my past clients, she was dating someone and he and anytime she, he would text her, or reach out to her, it felt like her body was on fire. Oh my gosh, and, yeah. and that's just like a huge sign of like run, run, run. And <laughs> when we are like victims of abuse or have a lot of trauma, it can be hard to distinguish, you know, what is a red flag, what is not. And I know you mentioned the term trauma bond. What would, what, what exactly like does that mean? Or like, what are the telltale, telltale signs that you are trauma bonded with someone? Mm, yeah, well, you can actually be trauma bonded with, yeah, a parent, even a friend, but for sure it gets more intense in a romantic relationship. So the trauma bond initially gets formed with someone, yeah, who is abusive, like narcissistic, for example, and they give you a high feeling from their love bombing. 
So, right, that they will study what you like. They will study what your insecurities are and kind of like make you dependent on them for your, for your self-esteem. So like, and it's, it's not just, oh, you're beautiful. It's, it's 10 times that, you know, that, and that's why it gives your, your, your brain this intense rush of dopamine where you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to feel it, feel that way again. Especially if you already have low self-esteem that can feel like a potent drug. Um, And sometimes you won't even realize that you have those issues but this person wakes it up within you because let's say, mm. lo- let's say when you were young, because trauma can be like just emotional ne- ne- neglect for your parents. It doesn't have to be something big. Well, that is big for a child. Think about it when your emotional needs are not being met. And so if you have that unmet need, right, you weren't seen, heard, or validated for your true self, when the narcissist comes in and showers you with that, it's like euphoria. That's honestly the the best way to describe it. It's euphoria. And you don't know how to feel that on your own because your parents didn't like instill that self-love and validation within you. And, and, um, but then obviously at some point they can't keep that up because that's not their true self. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a form of emotional manipulation to get you hooked, to get you in the relationship with them or the situationship, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, so when their mask slips, so when that happened to me, he went completely cold. Like he, it's, it's like we never saw each other in our our lives, type of like cold, distant, would take like five days to answer back. Um, And then what, and then when they sense you're pulling away, they'll throw a little breadcrumb. So you get once again, that your dose of dopamine right of like feeling loved validated and because it's given in such an unpredictable manner right like you never know when they're going to give that to you it creates something called intermittent reinforcement and this is the same thing like brain changes you'll see if if you're a gambler at a slot machine you know like when you're you know, at the game, you can sit down for hours and become addictive because mm-hmm. you never know if you're going to, you never know when you're going to win and you're trying mm-hmm. to crack the code. But when you do, you get a big rush mm-hmm. and your brain gets so addicted to that feeling. But that feeling, you know, why do some people become gamblers and others don't? Well, it's because that rush is an escape from their own deeper emotional pain. Like I said, sometimes it's so unconscious that you're not even aware that you have those wounds. And I think a lot of us do have those wounds because it just gets passed down from generation to generation, unfortunately. And then you're kind of stuck dealing with it. I don't mean to laugh about it, but it's the truth, honestly. And so then... It creates this, yeah, addiction to the person, right? Because they help you escape from those emotional wounds. Uh, but at the same time, what makes it even harder is your body gets addicted to the rushes, yeah, of their validation, mm-hmm. but also the stress chemicals. Because when something is intense like that, 
your your body produces more of those peptides in your system. So then your body starts to crave those emotional states, even if it's not good for you, even if it makes you feel like crap and you want to throw up, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it just knows that that is your new familiar because over time your body gets um, used to that cycle and starts to crave it. And we are habitual human beings. So it, mm. it, it, it's not like, oh, this is good. It's like familiar means survival mm-hmm. and safety. So your brain tries to bring you there. And that's why when you try and leave, like your peptides are like, no, I need that dose of like the stress chemicals and the dopamine and stuff. And so you go into this huge like panic, frenzy, depression, and your brain will create those thoughts to get you to reach out to them for your next dose of it. And that's why going out contact is always the first step because your your whole brain and body need to rebalance again from, from the addiction. But then you need to also get to the root cause of like, why were you so addicted? Why couldn't you walk away? Because 100% goes back to a, a attachment wounds, and which is not your fault. None of this is, you know, someone's fault. It, it's an unconscious survival pattern that, that plays out until you resolve it. And, you know, some people will go to the extent of only going no contact, but you also need to cut off from that version that allowed those things to happen in the first place, or also continue to meet the same person just in different bodies, which I have definitely experienced myself. I was like, why is, why are there so many narcissists like around me? Like what's happening? But it's because, you know, I was playing out a version of myself that would allow it to happen. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's what trauma bonding is. Um, it's, it's one of the hardest things honestly, the hardest things to recover from where like it's 10 times more addictive than cocaine. Cause this is like, mm. you know, your, 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 your attachment wounds, it's, um, it's love, it's connection. It's, it's, it's based on your survival, which is very different than, you know, an external drug, but it's, it's more the emotional part that your, that your body is, um, addicted to. So <laughs> hope that explains it. <laughs> Yes. Wow. What a a, like in-depth, amazing explanation. I'm so blown away by your knowledge and experience and just working with clients around this. This is so important. And wow, I agree. My, with my own experience, I, you know, when I left, when, you know, the, my last relationship didn't work out with the narcissist, my, and it's still something full transparency that I'm still, working through and reconditioning my body because it woke up that past part of me that was you know not trauma bonded with stress but like like you said your your body becomes addicted to stress you know that was like my father I became really addicted to stress and here we go the generalized anxiety disorder chronic Mm -hmm. anxiety whatever you want to call it and so once I left that you know and and that you know didn't work out any longer it was like oh my body was like oh where's the hit where's the hit (laughs) and exactly like you said and so like that's why it's important to have those tools that can help bring you back to the present moment and relax you and calm you down yes and just for like explanation what exactly is an attachment wound 
from from people listening to this podcast that might not know like what that is Mm, yes 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 because like I mentioned before um when I talk about trauma it's not always like big things right where you were abused by your parents it could be things like emotional neglect it could be that you had an emotionally unavailable parent and they and what the attachment wound is is that your parent is not able to properly attune to you and respond consistently to your emotional needs but when that happens it's like when you're young, you internalize everything. You don't have any logic yet. That part of your brain's not fully developed yet. So, and because you need your attachment for survival, that's where this insecure attachment comes in. Oh my gosh, that fear, that anxiety comes in. Like my parent is not taking care of my needs and I'm dependent on them for my very survival. I need their approval. So then you learn that who I am is not good enough, right? If my needs are not getting met. So how do I need to be, feel, think, and so forth to please my parent, to get them to meet my needs? And that's where the the real trauma is in the belief system, right? It's like, if that's, like, if they're not paying attention to me, because maybe they're working all the time, right? Maybe you have a parent that works 24-7, you barely see them, and then your brain, your child brain thinks, well, it must be because they don't love me. Mm. Right. It makes these like generalized, like beliefs. And well, if, if I'm not good enough, if I'm not worthy, well, that, but that's the, that's the attachment wound because then you don't feel secure in who you are. And at the same time, you need to know that you are safe in the world based on how your parent attunes to you. Because when you're really small, you don't have capacity to regulate your own emotions. Obviously, you're just pure emotions. You don't have you don't have those skills yet, which is totally normal. And so if you had a parent that just like let you to cry, to cry it out, which a lot of parents did, it's not their fault. They really didn't know any better. And they were advised to do that usually by, by their own doctors. Um, well, I feel like now times are changing. People are realizing that that actually creates severe like attachment uh, um, wounds. And so when you're left with that, right? You have all these emotions. You don't have the capacity to, to be with them. You shut them down um, and they get stored in your body. And then you don't, because your parent didn't help you co-regulate, you don't learn how to self-regulate. So then going forward, your safety becomes dependent on other people. Your sense of self worth is also dependent on other people because you weren't because when you're not attuned to you're not validated seen and heard so you don't feel accepted loved valued as yourself you don't learn who that is right because you learned oh I need to be a certain way to get them to take care of me and yeah there's no self there's no self-regulation on board so you literally that's where codependency comes in my like your safety comes through others so guess what if your safety comes through others then you need to please them all that all the time because if they're okay then you're okay right that that's the the childhood belief that got formed the insecure attachment but don't think it goes away just because time passes you know like that's exactly how you learn to relate 
in adulthood in, in all your relationships. And it sets in this, 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 um, form of dysfunction, but like when you're young, it, it made sense to be that way. Cause you literally could not take care of yourself. You could not be on your own, but now it, it just creates this reinforcement of it. And that's why, um, a huge part of, you know, recovering or healing from it is to learn self-regulation to give that to yourself now. And that's why I walk my clients through a whole like nervous system mapping, like session course, basically, um, so that, that they can tone their vagus nerve and what the vagus nerve simply is. It's the part of your nervous system that helps you to relax, feel safe and calm and connect to others. And because that wasn't properly established when you were young, then you need to, you need to actually strengthen it. It's almost like a muscle that you strengthen. So that way you start to feel that internal sense of safety on your own. And if someone leaves, you don't have much of that separation anxiety because you know, oh, it's okay because I'm okay on my own. I got this. I'm capable. I'm safe. So definitely like there's a lot to go in, um, a lot that goes into all this, but yeah, that's essentially what the attachment wound is. So I think a lot of us do have it because um, I'm not saying your parents need to be perfect for you to be securely attached. Um, but a lot of parents are depressed. Sometimes they're stressed out with their own unresolved issues and the baby feels that right away. And so it just, mm. it, it impacts their emotional development and um, just leads to insecure attachment, but it's not set in stone. Like these things can be yeah, repaired and learned. And the whole reparenting process is about giving yourself what you didn't receive in childhood. So you can come out of those emotionally like, um, stunted parts of yourself that are holding you back and you know that shows up in procrastination today that shows up in self-sabotage um you know running from relationships when things get too like when there's too much closeness so yeah it's just all these symptoms but the root cause of it is usually way 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 back then from those deeper attachment wounds and it's like, really? Like that is causing all my issues, seriously? But when you're like small baby, you're helpless. So mm-hmm. that, yes, that really does impact you. And that's the age where your brain is developing. So that has the most impact on you. And your subconscious mind, like I said, doesn't get updated with time. It actually needs to be rewired and reprogrammed through intentional healing work. Ooh, Emily. Ooh, yes, 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 girl. Yes to all of that. What an amazing explanation. I know I keep saying that, but uh, you know, I, I, wow, that's just fantastic. And I agree. Most people do have attachment wounds and, you know, thanks to you. I've also, you know, in my own healing work, I've worked a lot on reparenting myself, creating that secure attachment within and, you know, just working on toning my vagus nerve and working on, Uh, resolving those codependency and attachment wounds that keeps the anxiety alive and keeps Mm -hmm. the low self-esteem going what keeps you going back to partners that don't serve you and I think that's just fantastic and yeah just wow what a beautiful testament to how important inner child work is reparenting all that good stuff because a lot of people think oh well it happened in the past like that's it Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, it's stored in your brain, in your subconscious. (laughs) Like this ish is 
flipping important to make sure that we rewire it. And that's why people are walking around. Maybe you feel like, maybe you feel, maybe you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe even 50s or, or older. Maybe you think that like, maybe you're like in your 20s if you're in your 50s, or maybe you feel like you're still a child. You're emotionally still a child. Maybe you feel like, I don't feel like I'm 40 years old. That's usually from that stunted brain development from those attachment wounds, like you said, that have been triggered or activated and that have not been healed. So time does not heal all wounds, like you said. And that's why doing the intentional healing work is so freaking important. So Mm -hmm. Emily, is there any last thoughts that you'd like to share before we close out here? Mm, or or maybe like some what would you tell someone who's struggling with maybe they're in a trauma bond or maybe they're struggling with recovering from narcissistic abuse what would they tell you or what would you tell them I would definitely tell them like first thing is to educate yourself about narcissistic abuse and the reason why I say that is because when you don't understand it there can be a lot of self-blame and you can think that like you're the problem because I mean the the narcissist will end up brainwashing you and manipulating you into believing those things about yourself so that is definitely step one um step two is to also read up on codependency to understand like your own attachment look back at your own family of origin like how was it growing up did you were you the caretaker were you like someone who didn't want to rock the boat because obviously that that's a huge component of why you're struggling in your relationships today and uh, at the same time what you're going through now in the trauma bond, how can you see a similar pattern from your childhood uh, attachment? Uh, Because that, I think, helps to just understand it more, right? To get to the root cause. And then thirdly, you need support. It's not something, well, I personally believe it's not something that you could just heal on your own because you need to work with um, a trauma specialist, someone who understands narcissistic abuse. So they don't think they don't judge you. They don't shame you. They don't, you know, tell you that you're the crazy one, all that BS. <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> I, I've, I've had a lot of clients come to me and be like, I, my therapist thinks I'm crazy. And blah, blah, because at the same time, there could be forms of um, re- re- reactive abuse, right? So their, their buttons are pushed so much that they start to get very angry and, and uh, they, they can't hold it in anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, but obviously it's, it's a, it's a trauma response. So someone who really understands that, you know, will really help them to feel seen, heard and, and, you know, speed up their recovery process. But yeah, just seeking that support and taking one step at a time. Healing is a journey. It's a process. No one likes to hear that. I freaking know. I don't like it myself sometimes. I'm like, is it over? Is it over? (laughs) But, But, you know, it doesn't matter. One step forward, it like is, is the best thing you can do of being gentle with yourself because change doesn't happen overnight. It's those small little daily steps forward, those habits you create for yourself that that help to bring you out of it. And a big component of healing from a trauma bond is just helping your body to to feel more safe. So what can like what can you what tools can you do 
to help your body feel that way. Because right now it's like your body feels safer being there, right? Because your safety has become dependent on them. So how can you build it from within enough to be able to then leave? And I have a bunch of just healing tools, nervous system regulation tools on my page. So if you want to check that out for yourself um, on Instagram, it's Emily Colligan Therapy. And then on my Facebook too, Emily Colligan, that's like my main platforms that I'm on. And I give a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of like free tools, education, explanations so that you don't feel alone in your journey. And you feel like, you know, you have someone that really understands what you're going through. Oh, yes. This has just been such an amazing, like, juicy fucking episode. And I'm so glad to everyone. Everyone reach out to Emily Colligan. How do you spell your name just to make sure that they know how to spell them? Find you. Yeah. Well, my first name, E-M-I-L-Y, pretty straightforward. (laughs) My last name, on the other hand, uh, C-O-L-L-I-G-A-N. Awesome. Well, I cannot thank you enough for being on the podcast. This was just like such an in-depth, like juicy, amazing, amazing episode to talk about what is trauma bonds, what is attachment wounds. This really goes into codependency. What This is a huge root for a lot of people's anxiety and mm-hmm. all these low self-esteem and these stories that we make about ourselves from ch- as child, as children. And I think this is just so important. So thank you so much for being on the Anxiety Recovery Podcast, Emily. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And this was like a pleasure to speak about. Like I am so passionate about these topics. I can go on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful that you're, you know, creating this platform just to bring more awareness to it. I, I just... I love the fact that, you know, more people can be seen and heard and just feel like, you know, don't worry, like you're not the only one, you know, and there's hope out there. So giving people back that hope when they feel like they're just so stuck in it. So thank you, Val. You're so welcome. Thank you so much, Emily.